Hello and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, where we live in a quiet and serene uh, mountaintop village where we all basically live forever and weave magical tapestries that tell stories about Japanese animation. Uh, my name is Austin. I am the host of this here uh, Third Impact Anime Show, and with me I have the incredible Tori. How's it going, Tori? Hi, I'm good. <laughs> Good. It's been a while since we've had you on the show. Um, I've talked to you pretty much every day, but our listeners yeah. haven't heard from you in a while. I uh, think the last episode you were on was, oh man, was it the was it the Animazement cast? Um, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's been a while since we've had you on to talk about a series or a movie, and I know that you're pretty excited to talk about this one because we recently went to go see this movie just a couple days ago. And I think it sparked a lot of feelings for you in particular, I think. Would that be accurate? It would be very accurate. I um, I read so many comments from people being like, oh, I cried throughout the entire thing. And for anybody that knows me, I'm a very, very easy crier. And I made it up until the last 20 minutes not shedding a tear I had emotions, but I wasn't crying, and then that last, yeah, 20 minutes hit, and I was just, like, sobbing, like, deep, like, I don't know if you felt me, like, sucking in air and blowing tears back out, but it was happening. <laughs> it wasn't just me, it was everyone else in that empty theater that was with us that felt it, too. <laughs> just you and I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what exactly are we talking about today, Tori? Um, we are going to be talking about Makria, Ma Makia, 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 uh, When the Promised Flower Blooms. Yes, yes we are. A, uh, movie recently put out by, um, oh gosh, what the heck is the name of that company? Uh, Eleven Arts, yeah, Eleven Arts, the same people that put out A Silent Voice, uh, back earlier, earlier, or later last year, I want to say. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a really good movie, and we're going to talk about that this week on the Third Impact Anime Podcast that you are listening to right now. Um, but before that, I guess we're going to do a little bit of catch-up. So, uh, Tori, just, just tell us a little bit about what you've been up to lately. Um, so I finally got a big boy job, and it's been very, very stressful. If I can ever get this training done with, I will be working as a flight attendant, which is probably the weirdest career choice I've ever made. Um, How many free Biscoff cookies does that ensure you? Um, at least one. That's a racket. You need at least... <laughs> Come on. Oh, I know. You're telling me. I know it's been, uh, it's been kind of a mixed bag for you, but, uh, yeah. it seems like, it seems like something that I think, I think at least it could be fun if everything ends up working out. For sure. But uh, you and I have been doing a surprisingly large amount of watching of stuff lately. I know, um, which is shocking for me. Yeah, yeah. It, most of it, albeit, is not anime, but a lot of it is good. Most of it is very good. Um, <laughs> we are about, we are in, we are almost done with season four of Doctor Who. And, for sure, uh, yeah. I am, personally, I'm a, I'm a longtime fan of, of Doctor Who. I've been into it for probably probably since uh like 2010 or so so i guess not that long not compared to the the old fogies that's for sure 
but I've, I've been into New Who for a while and um, sort of uh, got out of it for a long time until you expressed some interest in wanting to get into it. So we've mm -hmm. been watching most of it together. So uh, what, what do you think of Doctor Who so far? Um, so I have been on the fringe of Doctor Who for a really long time. Like, most of my out-of-context knowledge comes from random, like, bits that I see on social media. And, um, I've always been interested. I just never knew where to start. And, like, most of the people I knew at the time who were into Doctor Who were super obnoxious about it. So I didn't feel like I could sit down and actually, like, enjoy it. Um... But watching it with you has been really, really nice. Um, I've been able to kind of just, like, take it at my own pace and um, not feel so obligated, I guess, to watch it. Um, but it's been fun. And I, like you said, that my, my patience for the bad Doctor Who is apparently really good. But um, there have been a few episodes that I... Oof. There have been a few episodes that I didn't necessarily like, but I wasn't also like, God, I never want to watch this again. <laughs> yeah, like, I've, I've told you that a couple times where I've sort of given you the 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 uh, the red the red alert. It's like, all yeah. right, Tori, <laughs> this upcoming episode is really bad, so I hope you don't <laughs> hate it. And, like, we've continued to push through, and you've, you've been a trooper about it, and... Yeah. We even got through that stupid Absorbaloff episode. Oh yeah. And we've got another stinker coming up with the uh, the unicorn and the wasp. Yeah. Uh, so Doctor Who is definitely a mixed bag, but uh, so uh, how how are you liking David Tennant compared to Chris Eccleston? Um, he's fun. I think I think so far that he's probably my favorite, and I feel that he will continue to be my favorite. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I'm taking it season by season, but, um, Tenet is definitely my number one. He does his best with everything he is given, even if it's not good. And what do you think your favorite alien is so far? Ood. Ood. <laughs> the Ood's, they're so good. <laughs> yes, they are. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I don't think I'll ever forget us watching the Planet of the Ood's episode and me just sobbing the entire time. <laughs> Yeah, because it's a real a real left turn from the way that the Ood are first introduced. Because the way that they're introduced in uh, the uh, the Satan Pit and all that stuff, yeah, it's just like you you kind of you don't really get a whole lot of uh, like you kind of feel sympathetic towards them, but you don't really get that really deep sympathy for them and to really understand the the uh, the pain that is Ood until mm -hmm. that planet of the ood episode and then they really they really hit a home run with those uh with the way that they they wrote those those particular aliens yeah i um all the spooky ones so far too have been uh really really interesting um like the angels and the uh oh what are the other ones um that were there pretty early on the gas mask kids Oh yeah, yeah. The mm -hmm. I I don't remember the name of that alien, but it's the whole like "Are you my mummy?" meme. Yeah. Um, and then the half, the fish boys. <laughs> They're also really cute. That was another. That was a surprising thing because I had really kind of forgotten about the half because they mm -hmm. don't. I don't think they ever appear again after that, and I'd yeah. kind of forgotten how kind of like weirdly sweet they are in the way that they're just kind of you know bubbling around doing their thing. 
Yeah, and um, the the concept of the head of bow or the face of bow um, mm-hmm. is really really interesting um, from that one little foreshadowing in that one episode. Um, so I'm excited to see where that goes, and I hope it gets brought up again. And I'm assuming that it probably does. I guess we'll see. I yeah, guess we'll I guess see. we'll see. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, we've also been watching some Disney movies. We've been going through that uh, that Disney backlog. Uh, yeah. I've been showing you a couple things that you've missed, and you've shown me a couple things that I've missed throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly in like the the middle, early middle era, like. Uh, uh, you showed me Sleeping Beauty and the Aristocats, and mm-hmm. I showed you um, Mary Poppins. And is that is that all we've watched so far? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so too. Um, I really, really enjoyed Sleeping Beauty a lot. Good. Uh, the Aristocats, I'm a little bit half and half on. Mm-hmm. Um, like some parts of it, I really enjoyed, and other parts, I was like, eh, it's all right. Um, but uh, Mary Poppins, what what would you think about Mary Poppins? Um, I thought it was really fun. I, as a kid, when that was put out on DVD and making its waves, um, I wasn't really watching, like, I wasn't interested in live-action Disney movies, um, so that one, unfortunately, kind of flew over my head, (laughs) um, (laughs) so I never got to see it as a kid, but I really appreciated it, watching it as an adult. It was really fun. And, um, I knew most of the songs, because when you're, like, ingrained in Disney culture, like, you know the songs, whether you've seen the movies or not. Yep. Um, but I, I think it was a very good story about parents needing to be parents. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's very nuanced, because, like, the, the villain, if you want to call it, is, like, not a real villain. Like, it's mainly just mr banks being a workaholic and i think that's that's a really good uh really good way for them to do that film and uh yeah we need we need to really watch the uh saving mr banks biopic for sure even though it even though it's not entirely completely historically accurate i think it's just a really good movie in general that's fine uh, um tom hanks does a really good portrayal of walt disney um they even touch on a little bit of some of the more uh i guess difficult aspects of uh, walt disney's persona because uh, yeah. he's he's definitely not he's definitely not always the uh the uncle walt character that everybody Mm-mm. sort of thinks he is no. he was a uh, human being with, with lots of flaws right walt disney was definitely not the amazing flawless man that everybody wants to make him but that's okay yeah <laughs> that is yeah. that's how people are <laughs> that's true people are people are weird um but yeah um like i said uh sleeping beauty for me was awesome i'd never seen it again kind of went over or like under my radar back then i never really had a huge huge interest in watching the disney classics whenever i was a kid because i found them i I mean kids have bad taste like i thought those (laughs) movies were kind of boring like i watched dumbo and i was like man this is a snooze fest oh man and i watched bambi i'm just like oh man this is even worse what do you mean the credits what do you mean the credits are at the beginning of the movie what kind of (laughs) what kind of racket is this and that that was kind of my uh my idea of it whenever i was younger but uh going back and watching sleeping beauty and just really being able to take in the magnificent background art and like some of those just amazing animated sequences are just really really good and everything maleficent is awesome and um 
I, I actually, there was a lot more character of Aurora than what I had been led to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, like, she's definitely not in it a whole bunch, but she's not as absent as I expected her to be. Yeah, I think she only has, like, 18 lines of dialogue. She does, but I, I think people forget to follow that up with, like, this movie is only, like, an hour and 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she's not in it for a whole lot, but it's also a short movie, so it's it kind of evens out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was really good. I liked that a lot. I, I liked how the, the prince was not just, like, super boring and dumb. He was actually kind of kind of cool, even though he was mostly <laughs> boring and dumb. But we don't talk about him in the Festival of Fantasy Parade. <laughs> oh, why? <laughs> okay, um... There is a lot that I really shouldn't speak about on this podcast, but um, sometimes, uh, depending on the time of day, Prince Philip can be a little extra. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All right. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Prince Philip, depending on the time of day, can be a little extra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh... Yeah, with Aristocats, I think the biggest flaw of Aristocats is compared to the other movies of that particular Disney time period, it does not have as good of a villain. I'll give you that. I, I know that you, you really enjoy that movie, and I think you enjoy it for some excellent reasons. Probably mm-hmm. most of the most of the reasons why you like that movie is are also like reasons that I like that movie. Mm-hmm. But I think I think its lack of a very compelling villain is kind of a big, like, a big shrug, unfortunately. Yeah, I feel I feel like they could have made him a little bit more sinister in, like, a Disney way. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you... I don't know. Let me, let me not get the far ahead. But, um, yeah, he definitely could have been a little more sinister. Like, if I was a butler and I had spent all these years working for someone and then they were like, hey, my entire estate and my millions of dollars are going to my four cats, <laughs> I also would be very pissed. Well, when you put it that way, it definitely makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, personally, I wouldn't try to kill them or like abandon them out in the middle of like nowhere, but I... I understand i guess but also if i was in the position of the madam i think i also would do the same thing <laughs> yeah and i mean we get to see pat buttram as that dog like give him That's a, true. give him his give him his his what's for so that was pretty funny yeah um and it was really interesting to see like all the uh the the, the uh sort of the disney thing that they did back in that day where like they were cast the same actors in mm-hmm. in in their movies like over and over for a period of time right um like pat buttram as uh the dog in aristocats was also uh, the sheriff of nottingham and robin right. hood um baloo and uh uh o'malley are like the same character mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of crazy just to 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 uh to see all that and to hear all that and uh and me being such a big fan of both Robin Hood and the um and the Jungle Book, like I feel like Aristocats was sort of like the missing piece of that of that trifecta that I hadn't really consumed yet. Mm-hmm. So now I feel like a more complete person now that I've seen Good. the Aristocats. So, uh, 
You're Very welcome. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we also saw the Mr. Rogers documentary, which was really mm-hmm. excellent. That was fun. Uh, very sweet movie. Um, oh, please yeah. go out there and see that. Uh, Mr. Rogers was a, a really, really unique person uh, with a lot of a lot of very positive feelings and uh, ideas about the world that is very inspirational, especially in our tumultuous day and age as it is. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, I think it's something that you really can enjoy, um, no matter the capacity that you took his show in, or um, him as a person, because it does a very good job of, like, teaching you about him, and I thought it was a very, like, in a very neutral way, like, it wasn't trying to slander him, and it wasn't trying to, like, put him on too much of a pedestal, but he very, mm-hmm. he very much was a kind man who... Had some rough patches, but eventually came around and um, accepted more people and helped as many people as he could. I think my favorite part is when they were talking about, like, all the pranks that they pulled on each other. Oh, yeah. During the filming. I think that's one of the best parts. With the guy, like, pulling his pants down? Yeah. (laughs) That, That was funny, man. It sure was. And having all those people that worked so closely with him in, uh in those situations and like on production and like in his personal life and all that stuff. Just a really, really interesting perspective to hear, hear about that, about that guy. Uh, but anyway, I guess that's enough about not anime. I guess we're going to move into our, our anime topic. Hey guys, we're back and we're ready to talk about Makia. But uh, real quick, if you guys like the podcast that you are listening to, or if you have enjoyed any of the panels of ours that you have seen us do at conventions, uh, please consider following us on our variety of social media pages and accounts and whatnot. Uh, you can find us most easily over on Facebook at facebook.com slash thirdimpactanime. Uh, we recently started a group over there, and it's been going pretty well. We've got a, got a small little community growing. We're using the group to like share news and share podcast stuff and convention pictures and all that sort of stuff. And uh, we're, we're kind of building some, uh, some good conversations over there. Everybody's been playing anime bingo, and that's been really fun. <laughs> That's kind of the hot meme right now, and gosh, it's a good gosh, I, it really is. Um, I mentioned that in the in the Haruhi episode, which actually I think that episode by this point will already be out. Um, but uh, just to give you guys a timeline, I recorded the Haruhi episode yesterday, so Tori and I are are on the ball getting another episode out here. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the Haruhi episode. I, I definitely enjoyed recording it, and Tori, uh, hopefully you enjoy listening to it. Um, I'm sure I will. So yeah, if you want to find out more about our podcast and all that stuff, you can find us on a bunch of different podcast platforms, including the one that you're using to listen to it right now. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all that stuff, uh, YouTube as well. Um, and yeah, you can find us pretty much everywhere. Twitter. Er, we have a Twitter as well. Twitter is uh, twitter.com slash ti underscore anime, and you can find... A bunch of information about us there and keep up with the show keep up with our panels and all the fun stuff that we're doing all the time so now that that 
stupid plugging and stuff is out of the way, I guess we'll go ahead and talk about the movie. Is that good with you, Tori? Absolutely. Cool. So we are talking about Makia, When the Promised Flower Blooms, or in Japanese, it is known as Sayonara no Asa ni Yakusoku no Hana o Kazaro. I probably did not pronounce much of that correctly. Not at all. Uh, not at all. Sorry. Okay. My apologies. But anyway. You were close. You were close. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, that translates to let's decorate the promised flowers in the morning of farewells. Uh, so slight difference there in the English and Japanese titles, but it, I think it gets the uh, gets the general message across pretty well. Uh, so this film uh, was written and directed by Mario Kata. This is actually her directorial debut, uh, but Mario Kata is definitely not a newcomer to anime by any means. Uh, she is a very, very popular, very prolific uh, screenplay writer and scenario writer uh, for anime of probably like the last uh, 10 or 15 years or so. Uh, it's pretty likely that if any of you out there have been watching anime, that it, watching any anime series that have come out within the last 10 or 15 years, um, more than likely you have run into a show that she has been a part of in some way. Uh, like, for example, she wrote the screenplays for uh, Anohana, uh, Anthem of the Heart, Kizniver, Mobile Suit Gundam, Iron-Blooded Orphans, Kofuku Graffiti, Black Butler, Toradora, AKB 0048, Blast of Tempest, and literally a billion other things from a ton of different genres and styles and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, she's very, very popular, but this is the first anime series, or anime movie, rather, that she uh, was the director on. Uh, production on this film was handled by Studio PA Works, who you may know from uh, series such as Angel Beats and Another, and The Eccentric Family, Shirabako, Sakura Quest, and most recently, Umamusume Pretty Derby, which is a show that I really need to catch up on because I actually kind of enjoyed those running horse girls. It was kind of a kind of a good show. Uh, the music for this film was composed by the legendary Kenji Kawai, who has worked on a truly stupid amount of productions during his career. Uh, he's been working on anime since the uh, late 80s, and he's also done some live-action work as well. Uh, he composed the music on the original Ghost in the Shell films. Uh, he worked on a bunch of iterations of the Pat Labor franchise. He worked on a bunch of uh, music for Ranma One Half. Uh, he did the music for the Devilman OVA from the 80s. And wow. he's also worked on a bunch of uh, recent stuff like Eden of the East and The Perfect Insider and Mob Psycho 100. Uh, he's also worked on a bunch of live action stuff, including composing all of the music for the Ring series. Huh. Which uh, I know is uh, something that you're very much a fan of, Tori. Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> yep, he composed the music for all of those movies, at least the original ones. I'm not sure if he's... Uh -huh. I, I don't know. How many of those movies are there? Too many. <laughs> Too many? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, yeah it's, he's... Just, it's just like the grudge at this point where there's so many that it's impossible to keep track of them. <laughs> I gotcha. He worked on at least the ones from like the early 2000s. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if he's worked on all of them, but um, okay. he also did the music for the live-action Death Note movies from the 2000s. Cool. Uh, he's worked on the music for the Ip Man franchise and worked on a couple of uh, more recent uh, Ultraman Ultraman works, including like one of the TV shows and uh, one of the movies, I believe. 
Um, so according to Mario Kata, this uh, was the last PA Works production where the uh, president and founder of Studio PA Works, Kenji Horikawa, uh, would be serving as a line producer on any on any work moving forward. Uh, so that's that's an interesting little note there, because uh, he's he's the president and founder of the studio, but he had still worked in production. Uh, at least on some level, and apparently he's going to be retiring from doing that uh, after this film. But um, if Miyazaki teaches us anything about retirement, that retirement is just a word, folks. It's just a word. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what it means? Um, and um, so uh, Makia has already won uh, the best, a, a couple of awards, most notably uh, best animation uh, at the Shanghai Film Festival for uh, for this year, I do believe. So yeah, Makia, it's got some uh, interesting pedigree going on. It's uh, Mario Kata's first work, and they got Kenji Kawaii on music. So uh, pretty solid production, at least uh, at least from that point of view. So, uh, Tori, do you want to take us through the uh, the voice cast of this show? Or yeah. this movie? I keep calling it a show. It's a movie, <laughs> Austin. It's a movie. It's definitely a movie. Right. Um, yes, anyway, okay. So, this movie has actually a really interesting, interesting voice cast. And as I was going through looking up some of these, I was genuinely um, surprised. And it was really cool to see um, how some of these voice actors had previously worked together on shows and other forms of media. Um, but Makia herself is voiced by, uh, Monica Iwami, and she is a very sort of new, a very, very sort of newcomer into voice acting in general. Um, I personally haven't seen anything she's been in other than this movie, but she, um, voiced Hotaru in New Game and Kotoko in Urahara. Um, then we have, uh, Miyu Irano as Ariel. Um, and he is voiced, surprisingly enough, by, uh, the same voice actor as Sora from Kingdom Hearts. Yay! Um, which is really wild. Um, <laughs> he also played Jintan and Anohana and Haku in Spirited Away. That man has been in so much. I, I was, like, in awe of his voice work credits. I was just, wow. <laughs> um... We have Rina Sato as Mido, which is the single mom who takes in Makia and basically sort of, well, very much so teaches her how to be a mother and take care of this orphan baby that she has found. Um, she has also played Ange in Umineko. She was Shira in Blue Exorcist and Rei in Sailor Moon Crystal, as well as Makoto in Persona 5, which is really, really neat. Um, we have Ai Kayano as Lelia. Um, who was Makia's friend, the one you see in the beginning who jumps off of the uh, tall thing. Was it a wall? I don't remember. She's it like, was hey, like, look what I can do. I can fly. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was Menma in Anohana, also voiced Darkness in Konosuba, and Futaba in Amanchu. Um, we have Yukikaji as Krim. Um, I really feel like I shouldn't have to tell you who Yuki Kaji is, but anyway, he voiced Eren in Attack on Titan. He was Yukine and Noragami and Ayato in Tokyo Ghoul. Um, we have Miyuki Sawashiro as Racine, um, who was the elder that took care of Makia and taught her how to make Hibiol. Um, 
She she was pre- really impressive too. Um, another voice actress that I was surprised at the credits she had under her belt. She was Salty in Darawara, Kamburu in the Monogatari series, and Shion from Psychopaths. Um, we have Yoshimasa Hosoya as Lang, um, who is Mido's older son, who later in the story uh, eventually is reunited with Makia after joining the army. Um, he was Odebeck in Yuri on Ice and Reiner in Attack on Titan. We have Yoko, Yoko Hikasa as Dita, um, who was the child who bullied Ariel um, and eventually marries him and has a baby when they're older. <laughs> um, <laughs> she vo- huh? I just I was just laughing, making oh. a giggle. <laughs> um, she was voiced by Mio, or same voice actress as Mio from K-On! And also she played Satan in Umineko. <laughs> she was voiced by Mio from K-On! <laughs> Stop! <laughs> the same, she had the same voice actress as Mio from K-On! I corrected myself, there, there. I think, maybe. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Carry on. It's all good. <laughs> Um, we have Misaki Kuno, who voices Medmel, um, which is the forced child between Lelia and the Prince of Mezarte, um, who was voiced by the same voice actress as Nico and Kisniver and Bridget in Ore Emo. <laughs> blah, blah. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> You're going to offend people. I don't care. <laughs> anyway... Uh, next, we have Tomokazu Sugita, who voices Izor, which I guess we're still very confused, but we do believe he is the soldier that was guarding Lelia. Um, and this is the same voice actor as Yusuke in Persona 5, Joseph Joestar in Good Old JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and he also hey. voiced Kyon in Haruhi. Which we just talked about. <laughs> um, and this is my maybe third personal favorite off this list and I had a sneaking suspicion it was this voice actor when I heard this character speak. But we have Hiroaki Hirata um, who also is another voice actor that I feel like I shouldn't have to introduce but here we are. Um, He plays Baro which is the um, half-yorf merchant. I guess he was a merchant? I don't know. Um, A thief something um, in the movie and he also is known for Jack Sparrow in the Kingdom Hearts series. Um, Sanji and One Piece, and my personal favorite, Kotetsu from Tiger and Bunny. Is he the dad one? He is the good dad one. <laughs> nice, nice. Yes, a single father, mind you. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Hey, hey, it's hey that 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 ties really well into this movie. Oh, it does. Yeah, and he yeah, also was yeah. Klein in Sword Art Online. <laughs> oh, neat. Whatever. Anyway, go on. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. So, just a quick little synopsis of the movie before we jump into our thoughts on it. Uh, so the film takes place in basically a, a Tolkien-esque like magical world, uh, very swords and sorcery kind of realm. It's got this, but it also has this big focus on like nature and the natural world and like the harmony between like people and nature and other other races and beings and whatnot. Um, and then we start off by meeting our main character Makia, and she is a member of the Yorf race. 
which is a race very similar to like elves, uh, how elves are typically portrayed. They remind me a lot of um, the Lalafell race from Final Fantasy XIV. Like if you Google that when you get the chance, I think you'll see it. <laughs> like like in the way that they work, or like the, the way no, that no, they no, look? the way that they look aesthetically. Oh, okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically they're, they're kind of like elves in the sense that they, they live very incredibly long lives and they don't really age to any great degree. Uh, like this, this particular film takes place over pretty much a lifetime. So like probably 80 years or so. Um, and like it, like Makia herself never ages really. Like she looks basically the same whenever we first meet her to whenever the film is over. Uh, that's just the way that the or the Yorf work. Uh, they're they're basically ageless ageless creatures that can die. They can be killed. Uh, they're not immortal, but they just age in very very slowly. Um, so Makia ends up working for one of the elder Yorfs uh, in the village. Who tells her about the the hebiol, which Tori mentioned earlier? Uh, the hebiol is basically uh, this tapestry that the orphan people uh, weave to tell the story of their pasts. Um, it looks, you know, to to the viewer, to to you know us uh, normal men, it's <laughs> it sort of looks just like any average like scarf or cloth or anything like that. Um, but the yorf can read it, like the way that they they do their writing and their language is expressed in this uh, tapestry called the Hebiol. Uh, like there's no images or pictures or anything on it. It's just woven fabric and that's how they tell stories, which I thought was a really interesting concept. I like that a lot. So um, the elder, basically, she tells Makia that it's very, very important that the Yorf people do not make connection, like significant connections with other people in the outside world, uh, because that will eventually cause the Yorf to feel loneliness forever. Um, like she doesn't say it exactly like that, but that's basically the idea that she tries to get across to Makia. And uh, as you could probably assume, that idea does come up, you know, pretty significantly later on. Uh, so one day, uh, an army of men from this uh, kingdom named Mazarte, which we've also uh, brought up, uh, they invade the Yorf's peaceful homeland, riding on these uh, massive uh, dragon creatures. I forget the name exactly of the race of dragons that they're called, but we'll just call them dragons because that's what they are. Um, they invade the Yorf's uh, homeland. They they kill most of their population. They they kidnapped Makia's friend, Lelia. Um and then it's revealed that uh, this particular kingdom of men, they've been uh, kidnapping different magical races, uh, including those dragons that they're riding on, to basically harness the power of like magical beings and things for like to build up their kingdom, to build up the, uh, the lineage of their royal family, and to just basically assert their dominance in, in the world of men by using the power of, of other magical races. Um, so during this invasion, um, Makia does successfully run away, uh, but then as she's running away, she happens upon a ravaged caravan, uh, where she finds a, uh, a, uh, a mother who has, who has been killed, but, uh, her baby, her newborn baby is still alive, and the, the mother is sort of cradling this baby, but she has already passed, um, and then she decides to, uh, to rescue this baby so that it doesn't die, and uh, she decides to, uh, you know, take the baby on as her own and to sort of just raise him 
uh, the best that he can, and uh, he she names him uh, Ariel, and uh, they sort of become uh, a mother-son sort of relationship. Uh, the movie goes through a lot of time jumps, uh, going through the boy, going through Ariel's life, showing him grow up, but Makia, being an orf, Eorf sort of, you know, stays the same age and doesn't doesn't age at all. Uh, but she continues to try and provide for him as he as he grows older, and then the uh, the film basically goes on there to a uh, a very wonderful but very bittersweet and sometimes very dark uh, fantasy story that I found very enjoyable, and I think that you would agree, Tori. Absolutely. Um, despite those moments where I was kind of confused amongst those time skips, I can't really think of anything else that was such a glaring issue for me um i mean of course there are some little nitpicks i have but um given the overall um message and everything else the movie gave me i can kind of overlook that (laughs) so i guess let's talk about that but we'll talk about the little the issues uh uh in a minute but uh i guess let's just talk about like Generally, what did you generally what did you think of the movie? Like walking out of the theater, what did you think? Um, I felt satisfied. Uh, I wish a few more things would have been explained a little more clearly, but um, I I just felt good. I felt fulfilled. Um, but I just had this very warm feeling on the inside. <laughs> and I think that's. I mean, I think that's perfectly valid for this film because I think that's kind of how Mario Arcata tells her stories. Mm-hmm. Like there, she tells the her stories with a lot of emotion and a lot of feeling, mm-hmm. and I I think that that is what you're supposed to walk away from whenever yeah. you're watching something Mario Arcata related. Oh yeah. Like it's not the story of Anohana that gets you; it's just the emotions and the characters in it that or mm-hmm. just what is what has left such a you know big impression at least for that particular work and i think that's what makia does as well and i guess as someone that's always been in like a pick your family situation i think that's what got to me a lot um because it very it very much is that um to a degree and the the scene where like um Ariel and Dita, they, like, he comes back and he sees his baby for the first time, and just, like, to paraphrase, they're like, um, let's love her so she can go on and love somebody else, and I was just like, oh, no, (laughs) um, and I think, I think that's very important because, like, um, we're not sure about Dita, but, like, Ariel, for example, like, even though he was an orphan, he was taken in by Machia and given that love. Like, she she wasn't sure what to do in multiple occasions, but she still, like, all throughout his life up until the very end had such strong love for him, and then that helped him have his own family and live out his life and um, things like that. And I love kids, and just as somebody who like at some point i guess wants to be a mom it was just very like over emotional for me (laughs) if any of that made sense yeah yeah that definitely makes sense um i think in in reading a little bit a little reading back again about about some of the plot elements uh before uh preparing for this podcast um i for i had forgotten that makia was an orphan 
Uh, uh-huh. I didn't. Yep. I had forgotten about that. So uh, that's an interesting little little tie that they brought back back into that with uh, with her. You know, you know, finding a, an orphan boy in in uh, in Ariel and sort of raising him uh, and giving giving him the love that she didn't have. Um, and then you know, watching him through his relationship with his his wife later on, sort of you know, pass that on as well. So. And it really does go into that that whole idea of like you are you sort of you sort of give the love that you're given. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's not always true because you know obviously some people are in are in really tough family situations where there there is no love at all, and then they 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 sort of have to learn the hard way how to love other people because they weren't loved properly, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that a lot of people deal with. Um, and I think that, you know, Makia as a character, her, you know, she doesn't always make the right decision, but she always, always tries really, really hard to give Ariel the best, like, opportunities that, you know, he can be given and to, mm-hmm. you know, just give a chance for them to survive. Right. Um, because she's, she's very ostracized, being very different. Mm-hmm. Um, she's recognized as sort of like an other in the community. Uh, and she's kind of always on the run because she knows that she, you know, isn't isn't your person, and like she's, uh, she's she a has this orphan. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, you're right, <laughs> but um, yeah, she she she's always dealing with that, and like that's that's can't be anything but stress. But you know, she still tries her hardest to provide for her son, and and I think right. that's just a a beautiful beautiful you know plot thread through this film well absolutely because like i didn't i didn't have that situation to such an extreme um as some people that i know did but i was like a single child or single parent child for a long time but you know that's not the case anymore but like people i know um who still are in a single parent household i mean they're older now so the circumstances are different but they always have stories of like yeah, I hardly saw my mom or dad at home because they were always working, working, working. So um, I could have clothes or we could eat um, or I could go to college. Meanwhile, you know, their parent is wearing clothes that they've probably burnt holes in and things like that. And I think that's very, like, that's very admirable. It's like, it it hurts my heart to know people are in that situation, but it's just such a good thing to know that people, like, parents like this love their children so much that they would give up what they have and, like, they're comfortable. I'm, I'm about to cry. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> it's just, like, those parents, they give up everything that would make them comfortable and them happy to see their child succeed so they know that their child can go on and help their children and their friends and their family succeed as well. Right, right. So And we see that 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 generational passing of the torch of of love and care and affection mm-hmm. uh, pretty well, you know, conveyed in this film in in the way that it in it plays out. It's just sort of it's wrapped around this like very interesting fantasy setup, but mm-hmm. the the emotions and the themes presented in the film are, you know, very real, very human, very relatable. Yeah. Um, like 
you know, Makia as a character progresses sort of beyond her appearance. Like her appearance is one thing. Um, and that's sort of because of plot, but it really doesn't matter so much. Like Mm -hmm. she's still, you know, is the provider and then eventually sort of moves on from, from her son as as parents have to do whenever their children grow up and all of that. Right. Um, and allow him to sort of live his life on his own. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting, like the, the situation, even though it was set in a high fantasy, it just kind of like piggybacking off of what I said a moment ago, it felt real. Um, Mm -hmm. especially in those scenes too, um, where like, she was going through the town and trying to find a job and um, things like that. And you would see the people um, kind of, like, look at her funny. They would talk down to her. They wouldn't even give her a chance as far as jobs go because um, of her child situation. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's that's things that single parents deal with on a day-to-day. And I, I see it more with single mothers, but, like, I know it happens with single fathers, too. Um, So that that there just kind of was, like, solidifying the, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, The concept? Yeah, yeah, thank you. It really solidified Mm -hmm. the concept of um, what they were trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, completely off topic, I just want to, like, throw this in before I forget, but um, apparently some elements of the story were inspired by, like, uh, Mario Kata's relationship with her own mother, Mm. Um, and I think that comes across really well. Like, I tried to read more into that, but I couldn't find a whole lot of information. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it's always best to draw your inspiration from things that happen to you personally. So I found right. that interesting. And uh, her autobiography is available on the in in English um, pretty easily. So I'm I'm sure that I have. I mean, I bought it. I haven't read too much of it, but I'm sure that that she goes into you know, her relationship with her parents and whatnot, uh, in that autobiography. And that would be interesting to read about. So, um, yeah, good, good thought bringing that up. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I guess one scene towards the beginning that, that really stood out to me. And I, and I guess we, this is a good springboard to talk about uh, at least one specific thing is that whenever she shows up at, um, what was her name? The, uh, the mother's house. Oh, um, um Racine? No. no, that was the elder. Um, Mido. Mido. Yeah, whenever she showed up, shows up at Mido's <laughs> farm for the first time, like she she uh, sort of happens upon this this other single mom who is also raising who's raising two kids of her own, and like Makia shows up to her farm, and like uh, the the mom finds her in the barn, like trying to trying to get Ariel to drink milk from a goat. <laughs> and then Makia just looks at her with this, like, awful face, and she's just like, he won't drink it. <laughs> no, she starts crying, I think. and she, Oh, God, yes. that look on her face, though. She just starts to cry, and she's like, I don't know how udders or boobs work. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's what she said. You're right. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, that, that scene was both, like, just like a huge awe moment and it was also like man you know she's trying so hard it was also funny too like that that scene was just brilliant i know it really uh, um it like humanized her 
if that makes sense. Because, like, it you did. know, you know, she's like this sort of immortal-ish being, but to know that she can, like, I don't know, have these struggles that a normal person would have really just humanizes her more, I guess. And and the thing is, is like, besides her being an immortal-ish being, she was so normal. Like, was trying to be as normal as she could given the situation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she was she's just very very human in the in the mm-hmm. characteristical sense. Like, she's definitely a, another, you know, sort of otherworldly being, but she she expresses the same sort of ideas and and anxieties and fears as as anyone else does. Mm-hmm. And um and uh yeah, and sort of the theme of like paying it forward continues to uh pop up here like mm-hmm. because um Mito, that was her name, right? Mito, yes. Mito like sort of taught her how to be a mom in one way, like then we see, you know, the the fruits of that, you know, come up later on where she's, you know, she she learns how to be a mom, she learns how to prefer, to like provide for her kid and then like he he ends up doing the same thing like he joins the military he gets his job he you know wants to provide for his kid as well and then towards the end of the film we find out you know that cycle has continued life goes on and all that stuff so it's it's interesting to see just like the the weaving of the tapestry of life and they they hey. definitely hey yeah they they really sort of do that a lot in this film very very purposefully um, and they they bring that back in as well like they talk about like how um like the these people are all part of my my hebeol my life tapestry and all that stuff um so yeah it's it's a wonderful way to sort of tie that stuff in but um and there are also some some interesting real world issues that they go into as well like Mm -hmm. um a lot of it there's a lot of themes of uh motherhood like we've sort of outlined a lot of already um, and, and, and the sacrifice that goes along with, uh, with, um, the situations that you find yourself in or the people that you love, you know, and being, and having to take care of them and all that stuff. And there are also a lot of themes of like identity and how like you, you fit into a world and like how your differences can oftentimes be a, a significant struggle, uh, if you don't necessarily fit in or, you know, work so well in a particular community, based on you know a myriad of different factors mm-hmm. uh like um because makia was in hiding from the military and because she looked so different than everyone else like she was forced to dye her hair for you know years um decades even just to just to fit in so that mm-hmm. she wouldn't look so much different than everyone else and um because no one uh, because she didn't want anyone to find out that she was an immortal, like, as Ariel ended up getting older, you know, going into adolescence, going into his teenage years, she eventually had to stop, you know, referring to herself as his mother and change to, I'm his sister, and uh, and so on and so forth, um, because she, you know, could not reveal her, her true uh, identity and her true um, sort of lineage as a member of the Eorf. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that the plight of of Lelia was another good sort of flip side um, to um, to sort of what Makia had to deal with. And I thought that uh, that seeing seeing her her issues on on her end of the story was also very compelling and interesting, um, because she is sort of like 
the the opposite side of the coin from Makia because you know Makia easily could have ended up in the same exact situation that Lelia found herself in and there were many times where as the audience we thought that was the direction it was going to go um so do you want to talk a little bit about what you thought about about Lelia's character and her struggles um yeah so I found it I found it very very interesting that in the beginning um, Lelia is shown as this like free spirited like tomboy who is just very I'm gonna do what I want when I want to do it type character and then when they introduce uh, Makia she's kind of like reserved and to herself I mean still like friendly but just to herself and then once we get to that part we see Lelia in this very rigid like I'm going to be a princess, and I have to abide by this set a set rule and things like that. But um, and I think she said something along the lines of like I'm can't believe you get to be out here doing whatever you please. Um, it wasn't quite that, but yeah, so um, it was something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Tamakia, and so they had that like weird role reversal i guess where makia mm-hmm. was able to be out and kind of do what she wanted and she was out of her shell and then Lelia was just um hidden away having to be upright dignified um i wish we could have seen more of what she was going through um mm-hmm. but i did i think the cuts between the story were done very well um I just, I wish they would have given me more to care about Lelia. Like, I was sympathetic to what, what she was going through, because, like, wow, that situation's really awful. Um, not to mention, like, I just kept thinking about it the entire time. Like, her baby was more than likely a product of assault. Right, exactly. Um, and I know that that is something that women struggle with every day, and I could not imagine carrying a child like that you know um yeah. so that was that was kind of stuck in the back of my mind but at the same time yeah i wish they would have given me more to care about her like they set her up as someone who i thought was going to be interesting and a good part of the story but i just felt like it kind of felt f- like it i felt like it kind of fell flat a little bit i mean i don't th- she didn't fall flat in completely for me because like i was able to sort of fill in those blanks a little bit by like process of assumption but i mean you're definitely right she could have used some more like character time because we don't really we we sort we know lelia kind of by what happens to her but we don't really get to necessarily experience so much of that through her character necessarily like basically the only little character moments we get is like a little bit towards the end um and then that little bit at the beginning and then Mm -hmm. seeing her 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 frustration and her distaste for her lifestyle sort of splintered in throughout and i did i did think that that moment where uh crim appears and tries to uh confront her and take her away and she's basically like there's i i don't want to go with you because i have basically accepted that my people are dead Mm-hmm. And the only thing I really have to live for now is the thought of getting to see my daughter again. I feel some and... kind of way about that. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll talk about that next. Yeah, but I, um... just just the fact that she had basically resigned herself to her fate and sort of given up on on you know her past. 
Um, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's definitely understandable. I do not fault her for that mm-hmm. because, you know, you know, once you go through like so much significant trauma of that, oh, of, yeah. in that way, like your priorities sort of shift. Oh yeah. And she just didn't have the same drive or value set for the same things as she did, you know, back before all this stuff happened mm-hmm. to her. Right. And I was, I really, really was hoping that she would go with him. Um, because just from those few shots um, during the beginning, like they just seemed so in love and she just seemed so happy to be around him and in his presence. And yeah. so I was just like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Like, remember, you love him. He loves you. Just go. And, but you're right. Trauma, trauma causes you to do really, really wild things. So, yeah. And just, just the fact of all the things that she went through and, like, the fact that her life changed so much, like, she kind of just accepted it, whereas Krim mm-hmm. sort of fought back. And it's sort of like another, you know, two sides of the same coin sort of thing. Yeah. Um, where we see, you know, two two very valid responses to, like, the same issue mm-hmm. um, that really sort of highlights the, uh, the, the breadth of what, you know, sort of you, what you know, what your experiences are and how they shape your decisions for in one way or another. Oh, yeah. So I know you had an issue with what uh, her her resolution was at the end. So go ahead and, and voice <laughs> and voice your issue with it. And then I'll, I'll give you my thought follow up thoughts. because okay, I have an I'm, idea. I have an I'm idea. very OK. I'm very curious as your response okay. to this. But OK, what really got under my skin, I guess was the fact that we had all these scenes of Lelia being like, I want to see my child. I need my child to know that I exist. I I just, I want to meet her. I need to see her. And then she does, finally. And then she just leaves. And that was so unsatisfying. It's like, you, you had your chance to take your child with you and live your life with her. But you left her there, and I'm sure maybe she thought that Medmel would have better care being left at the palace, or the the castle, or whatever the heck. Um, But at the same time, she had just made so much fuss, and for her to just leave with Makia felt so unsatisfying. Okay, so my counterpoint to that Uh is that that whole scene ties back into what the elder said in the very beginning of the movie okay which is if you make those connections to people you know from the outside you will eventually end up alone Mm -hmm. and i think shortly before that scene makia also realizes that right and that's why she goes ahead and leaves um ariel and his wife for what we can assume is many many decades well it had to be exactly it had to have been and she you know big big spoiler warnings for the very end of the film so please go watch it but big spoiler warnings for the end of the film we don't see her return to ariel until he is an old man and on his deathbed his death day and he is on on death's doorstep and she visits him as he's as he's dying and then leaves um 
So I and I think that that scene, the scene where Lelia makes the decision to leave her daughter behind, happens after the war is over, and you know clearly we're we're shown that uh, Medmel is safe, and she is cared for, and uh, that sort of uh, Lelia knows that that she's in a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, and she got the resolution of being able to meet her daughter for the first time, speak to her, tell her who she is, make that connection, and then it was just time to go. Mm-hmm. That's the way I read it, at least. I'll and we see the that. same, and we see the same thing with the dragon as well. Like the 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 plight of the dragons and the uh, Eorf is very similar. Um, like like. It happens off screen before the film, but it's sort of implied early on that, like, this kingdom has been kidnapping these dragons to basically use them as beasts of war to uh, sort of increase their military might. And uh, as the years go by, like, these dragons start developing this this really bad uh, illness, like the red eye disease or something like that. And uh, they end up, like, going crazy and then dying. And by the time the ending of the film comes around, there's only one dragon left. And Makia frees that dragon and rides it off into the unknown, basically, into the sunset uh, with Lelia as well. So I, I see that as, like, the, the coming full circle of the idea in the beginning. It's like, mm-hmm. like, if Lelia stuck around, like, I don't, she would just have to watch her daughter grow old and die. And I don't know that's if that's true. the kind of life that she wanted to live it's clearly not the the life that Makia wanted to live either. So, I mean, I can only fault them so much. Like, I definitely hear you about that, about how she was, how she really wanted to be with her daughter and then just kind of left. But I'm like, is there really any other option there? No, you're right. Like, I don't know. Like, I, it, it's such a tough thing. And that's why, like, whenever I think about, you know, would I want to be immortal? I immediately follow that up with absolutely not. <laughs> I don't think I'd mind it. I don't know. I, I might not mind it for a while, and then... I, I don't know. It would, it'd be weird. Thankfully, I don't think I'll ever have to make that decision. <laughs> Alright, so were there any other characters or specific themes of this film that you wanted to go into that you can think of? Um, not really uh, character-wise. Um, I know you had some feelings about um the one guy (laughs) um my thing is we rarely get movies about platonic love Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to families because i don't know most of the movies i think of are about like dysfunctional families with no real resolution right but right it it made me so happy to like go throughout this entire movie and just like feel that way. Like Mm -hmm. I wish more media would handle things like that. Like not everything has to be a romance story. Don't get me wrong. I love those when they're well done, but not everything has to be a romantic love. There are so many forms of love and Mm -hmm. to see a whole movie focus on, like I said, that platonic, family love was just really incredible like it was just amazing that on top of like the message of 
great things can come out of bad situations. I think that's also very important. Um, because though that's like the thing is, I feel sometimes no matter how bad your situation might be, unless it's something very, very, very extreme, um, I feel like you can find at least one good thing to kind of keep yourself grounded, and that resonated very, um, very strong in this movie, I think. Yeah, definitely. And going back to what you said about, like, you know, platonic familial relationships and all that stuff, like, I would say a great pair to this film would be something like Wolf Children. Oh, absolutely. Which, you know, is, again, sort of like a, a fantasy sort of take on, like, a parent-child relationship and uh, and all of the, uh, the uh, perils and pitfalls and possibilities of that. Um, it's just kind of in reverse here where, like, the parent is the... Uh, the mysterical, mysterical, mysterious, like, (laughs) mythical creature and all that stuff, but, uh, it it sort of plays out in the same way, it's, uh, it's very much a story about, you know, uh, you know, parents and kids, you know, really hammering home that single moms are, are the, the heroes of the world. Basically goddesses. uh, (laughs) Basically, yeah. And uh, how they just deserve all the all the respect and the love ever, and the the how the when when the community bands together to help out a single mom, that's like the best thing that it can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why uh, what's her name? Gosh, I can't can't keep for keep bleh, keep forgetting her name. But the other mom character is just also so great because she's such a wonderful mentor to uh, to Makia. She really is. She is like the way that she snaps, like slaps her belly. She's like, I'm a I'm mom. I'm a mother. I can't cry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, even though, gosh, Makia cries so much in this movie, I know. but like, she's a bit of a crybaby, <laughs> but that's okay. She is, and that's what that's another thing that I really like about Mario Kata works. Like, I, there are definitely some issues with this film that I'll touch on very briefly, but I don't think they're big enough issues to like break the movie for me. They're just like a little bit of like filmmaking nitpicks i have but one thing i really like about mario kata works is that she's really not afraid ever to make her characters show deep emotions and uh, i think she only gets better at that as she goes along like we were talking about this maybe like last week or so like i watched toradora way after i watched anohana and just watching toradora and that being one of mario kata's like earlier sort of melodramatic teen of drama works um and then seeing what she did in anohana it's a it's a huge difference and Mm -hmm. uh, anohana just does that so much better in such a more genuine way and a more heartfelt way and a more poignant way and it just really tugs at your heartstrings in in just so much harder Mm -hmm. and it just makes toradora feel like kind of eh whatever um and makia sort of rides that that anohana wave so Mm -hmm. again if you're if you really liked anohana i think you will enjoy makia a lot as well and um so yeah this this movie's real good i did want to talk about a couple of my smaller issues with it it has some weird like geographical like dissonance i guess oh yeah like there are some scenes where like some characters like jump around in space and it's kind of jarring um like it it stood out to me especially in one scene like towards the end uh where like i thought ariel was in one place and then he shows up in a scene in another place 
um, and that was a little bit jarring, uh, but again, not a huge problem. Um, also, it's kind of poorly established which character the prince is. Like, you and I were very confused. Like, we were talking to each other during the movie. We're just like, is the night guy the prince? That he No, there's no way, because he's too nice to be the prince. Like, that doesn't make sense. So, uh, the, the prince character is a little bit ill-established. Like, he's supposed to be the guy that is, like, uh, taking, you know, you know, trying to make... Lelia, his queen so that they can you know introduce the eorphan blood into the royal line and all that stuff and we don't really get a great idea about who the prince is and he's a really really poorly developed character anyway because <laughs> we barely know who he is how could he be developed a bit anyway um and like the one um the one like half eorph like merchant dude that popped up like in the beginning and in the end like if you had taken that character out of the movie entirely, I don't think the movie would have changed, like, at all. Um, he reminded me a lot of uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character in uh, Princess Mononoke. Ah. You remember the guy that, like, jumps around on those really tall shoes? Uh-huh, yeah. He was just kind of like this somewhat sleazy guy that knows a whole lot of stuff because he's been around town for a while and uh he doesn't really do much i don't know i wish there was a little bit more that he did um but again these are all just sort of nitpicks and i know that this this movie was originally originally had a whole lot more in it that they had to cut uh so that was probably just some things that were more fleshed out in uh in other drafts of the story that sort of just carried over into the Mm -hmm. final product um, but I think regardless, it's a really good movie. Uh, I think you should definitely check it out. Um, if you like things that will make you cry, if you like really strong uh, character relationships, if you like some things that have some uh, some social commentary going on there as well, especially with like like uh, like uh, like uh, I guess like women's issues and abuse and trauma and you know, things like that, and, like, there's a, an ounce of uh, genocidal commentary in there as well, so, uh, you know, fun fun for the whole family, all that, all that cool stuff. All right, so I guess in closing, we'll talk about a couple more things. So if you had to nail down what you think, like, the lesson of this movie is or what this movie is trying to tell the audience, like, mm-hmm. what do you think it would be? Moms are good. <laughs> I think that kind of nails it. Yep. It's uh, pretty pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Um, I think also a little bit bigger than that might be that just life goes on. Uh, to quote my father, uh, life finds a way. <laughs> yeah, uh, dinosaurs, you know, find a way. <laughs> That's true, and uh, how it's it's important to love people and to Absolutely. share love because if you share love, that means other people are gonna share love too, and that's good. Become a part of your life tapestry and all that junk. Uh, I would agree. So, um, as sort of a general thing, like Tori, do you do you like Mario Kart stuff? Um, from what I've seen, yes. Um, for me. Um, I, I, I have a little bit of a blinder on because I'm just like, okay, female director, great. <laughs> um, 
But my thing is, when she's good, God, she's really good. And when she is bad, it's still kind of good. <laughs> Does I that make ya. sense? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not everything that she's written has turned to gold or anything. And a lot of the stuff that she does generally throughout her career has been, like, adaptation work. Right. So, like, she did, like, for example, she didn't write Black Butler. She adapted it. Um, She didn't write Fate Stay Night 2006. She just adapted it from another Mm -hmm. work. So that's what the majority of her, of her, uh, of her, you know, work credits have been. Right. Um... But I think when it comes to her original stuff, especially Anohana and this film, I confess I haven't seen Anthem of the Heart yet, but I've heard that's also really good. Um, I've really enjoyed all of her original stuff, so I I think she's really good. So yeah. um, I always look forward to seeing something Mario Kata related because I oh, know same. I know kind of what I'm gonna get, and it's mm-hmm. gonna be something that's very emotion fused, and I like to see that in anime because. I mean, it just really irks me in general whenever I watch movies or shows or anything like that that focus just so much on plot and concept that they forget about emotion. Their characters and emotions. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And like, and making the characters' emotions like obvious, like, and you yeah. definitely feel that in in this film as well because there's I just know. so so many raw moments, especially there towards the end, that just that just get your heart turning and rumbling and rolling ah <sighs> yeah it's good uh good really good ending very emotionally charged mm-hmm. uh, i i it it got me to cry too so this <laughs> I, I told i told you as we were walking out of the theater like only three anime have made me cry ever and it's been anohana and death parade and now this movie so uh i'll i'll add that to the collection as well <laughs> so uh final question uh, to you, what is your most memorable moment of the film or like the most uh-huh. like iconic moment from the film that you think Am I allowed have? to have more than one? You can list them, but you have to choose one. Okay. Oh God. I, I don't know if I want to pick physically or emotionally because you know, I'm a very emotionally driven person. Go for emotion, because I know that that would mean more to you. I know, and I feel I feel like my physical one is probably going to be the same as yours, maybe. Okay. Um, so emotionally, just those those last few scenes of like, uh, Ariel seeing his baby and being like, "Wow, that's my baby." <laughs> yeah. And um, when she goes to visit him at the end of his life i was just like that's incredible because i'm trying not to cry right now (laughs) (laughs) um i'm sure that that's something that must have been very very hard on her um because she you know saw him from from beginning to end Mm -hmm. and um I just that's rough and then I'm sure he spent most of his life probably thinking about whether or not if she was okay and whether or not um if she was ever gonna see him again so mm-hmm. that that really got to me so yeah he says something like welcome back or something is yeah. like his his final words to her and that's just oh I know <laughs> oh man it hurt it hurts so bad man but it was it was a, it's such a good hurt because I like know. 
you you get to see his his daughter and his granddaughter, his granddaughter. <laughs> just you know hanging out they got this beautiful house in the countryside and you know his wife had passed and it was just his time and it was just mm, i know very very touching very touching uh so would would that be your iconic moment or would it be uh would it be him uh him seeing his baby for the first time ooh also (laughs) also shinzo abe this is how you convince people to have children absolutely (laughs) not darling in the franks no forced teen pregnancy (laughs) we have enough of that in the united states we don't need it in another country (laughs) oh dear (laughs) apparently it's gone down though so that's that's something but um hey good news yeah um i I guess it would be the end, like the the her going back to him. I don't know. All of all of that at the end destroyed me, but yeah, I I guess that because that really is the the culmination of the entire story. So um, I think if I had to pick, there's a there's a couple. I'm I'm gonna say a couple as well, but I'm gonna try and pick one because okay. I told you you had to pick one, so I'm gonna have to pick one too. Double standard. Um, Exactly. I don't <laughs> want to do that for sure. Um, I love the scene where he's out in the rain as a little boy and he's just like, you thought I, yeah. my skin melted off or something like I that. I shed my he, skin. Yeah, I shed my skin because he took off his clothes in the rain whenever she was looking for him. Yeah. And and then they have just this tender moment and where she's about to cry and he's like, you can't cry. You're a mom or something like that. <laughs> and then she slaps her belly just like the other mom did. And she's like, you're right. I can't. Uh, that was, that's a really touching moment from mm-hmm. earlier on in the movie. And the whole goat scene just cracked me the <laughs> heck up. Like I keep thinking about that. And it's just so silly, but so honest at the same time. Yeah. Uh, like that was just so good. But I think I will have to agree with you and pick the same one of like the ending mm-hmm. sequence, like the whole thing being what's gonna, what's gonna really stick with me for a long, long time. Yeah. And I mean, the I mean the whole, the whole sequence too. Like whenever she walks outside and she thinks she's going to have her composure, but yeah. she just lets it all loose. And, and then like she, balls. I was like, me too, Makia. <laughs> yeah like she just balls it out and then she you know she gets on the cart with the other guy and just rides off and then the camera pans up and we get that beautiful ending song and then the movie is over and then yeah you know good uh... good sad feels were had by all oh yeah i really like that scene too um and this is where i thought maybe you might have gone um when the war was going on and it kept cutting back and forth between that and like dita like in labor yeah Yes, that was a really great filmmaking moment. Yeah. I do remember telling you, like, leaning to you and being like, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this in a movie before, where they were juxtaposing images of war with images of childbirth, and I'm like, wow, that's that makes so much sense. Yeah, because, like, even in death, there's life, so... That too, and just the <laughs> fact that it, you even said it as kind of a joke. You were just like, "Yeah, giving birth to a child must be kind of like war." <laughs> <laughs> so it it works on many different levels there for sure. That's another yeah. good scene. All right, Tori. Well, I think that kind of wraps us up on Machia. Uh, unless there was anything else you wanted to say. Um, no, I think we covered it all. Just be kind to moms. <laughs> Yep. Go be kind to moms, single moms especially, or the uh, 
the real heroes and uh yeah go go out there and love somebody go out yeah. there and uh and uh you know give somebody a hug and uh <laughs> tell them how great they are and uh go watch this movie it's a good movie absolutely go check it out i think it's still in theaters as of the time of this recording i don't know how much longer it will be but try and go check it out and uh even if you don't end up loving it well just go support anime in the theaters because the more times people go the more likely it is that we will be getting more of them in the future so uh thank you tori thank you so much for being on this episode and talking about this movie uh yeah it was really 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 great episode really appreciate it Mm-hmm. And uh, so, in closing, uh, Tori, where yes. can people find you on social media? Um, I'm usually screaming into the void on Twitter at Worst Waifu. Cool. And uh, you can find me on Twitter as well at Bebop Shock. And that's Bebop as in Cowboy Bebop and Shock as in Bioshock. And uh, probably the best place to talk to all of us in third impact anime is to pop on over to that facebook group that we've just got started uh it is uh if you go on facebook and look for uh, facebook.com slash third impact anime uh you can find our facebook page there and the group is linked to it so just go ahead and add yourself there there's a pretty a small but growing community of fans going on there and we're trying to keep it Keep it fun, keep it lively, keep it, you know, talking about uh, anime and fan culture and all that stuff. And so it's just a just a generally good time. We're all sort of, you know, floating in and out of that group from time to time. And uh, as for general Third Impact stuff, you can always visit us on our website, which is thirdimpactanime.wordpress.com. And uh, you can find this particular podcast on pretty much any podcasting service that you can think of, uh, Stitcher, uh Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, all that good stuff. And uh, please, if you guys enjoyed this episode or have listened to another episode in the past or have attended uh, one of our panels before, please, please consider popping over to our Facebook page and giving us a star rating and a review, if you would be so kind. Uh, That really helps us understand how to make better panels and how to make better podcasts, and how to generally be better people at the end of the day. So thank you again, Tori. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Can't wait to have you back on again. Anytime. All right, and that's the end of our episode for this time, and we will see you in the next one. Bye.